0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards Hot Stove edition of the podcast. Not a ton of developments uh, so far. Uh, The Chris Sale uh, developments keep on going. He signed, uh, basically, they restructured his whole deal, guaranteed a second year. He was only guaranteed one previously, Had they kept the original deal, a top 10 Cy Young finish would have vested an option. But that part, uh, you know, was interesting. That all came out today. We'll probably get into that in the later segment. We're going to be doing mostly a lot of starting pitching talk. So Cody Paulson, Micah Storms with me tonight. Cody, how are you?
1: Gentlemen, always a pleasure to be on the pod with you all, Micah. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be able to work with you, especially in the off offseason. Uh, doing well. You know, it's been a been a quiet week, um, which always, you know, makes people a little unruly on Twitter, for lack of better terms, with the rumors swirling. How can we get this guy? Oh, this other team is interested in him. You know, people playing both sides of the fence. So it's been a, a fun time to wade through and kind of figure out what's true and what's not true and who do we actually value. How are you gentlemen doing tonight?
2: I'm doing well. I went back to work this week, so I was off for 12 days for winter break. So that was really nice. Um, and now I'm just kind of worried that Breslow is going to break something when I'm at work, and I don't really have access to my phone when I'm at work because I'm working with 20 plus cl- kids at one time. So I really don't want to wait and sit on news and not be able to, you know, respond to it. So I'm hoping, you know, after after 3:30. Breslow can break all the news he wants, but just wait until 3.30.
0: What you should do, Micah, is you should have a kid that you trust that's not going to, you know, dime you out to the principal. Assign that kid as like the lookout for Red Sox Twitter. That way they're doing it, not you. And you'll you'll get all your information. You got to be a little corrupt. You know, that's that's how I am. You know, I work around things and, you know, is what it is.
2: It might be hard to get around the uh, the blocked websites to get the uh, the students on Twitter or something like that. Uh, That Might be tricky. (laughs) Maybe MLB.com. You know, if if we could just get instant news from MLB.com. MLB MLB Trade (laughs)
0: Rumors is what I tell all my non-Twitter friends to check out.
2: There we go. I'll pick a student and I'll uh, bookmark bookmark MLB Trade Rumors,
0: and that'll be that student's job. So tell us about this walk you went on. You had this, like, awakening or something.
2: Yeah, I would describe it as an epiphany. Um, I was walking my dog, Cooper, as I do every single night. And here in just outside of Philadelphia, um, the walks are quite cold now at this time of the year. So I'm walking a little faster. But I started to think, um, because I had put on Twitter a couple days ago, I think it might have been yesterday, that I finally come around to the idea of being all right with the Red Sox trading one of Marcelo Meyer, um, Kyle Teal, or Roman Anthony. I'd be fine with that if it's to acquire a starting pitcher. It took me a long time to get to that point. Um, and I'm not going to say I would love a deal like that because I still think I would. it would be painful, but I could deal with it. But then I started to think about the Red Sox championship teams. And I have a list of names for you, and I want to see if you can find what all of the names have in common. And I think you'll be able to put it together. But it kind of shocked me, because I went through every single championship-winning team that the Red Sox have had um, from, from 2004, 2007, 2013, and 2018. And here's the list. Pedro Martinez, Kurt Schilling, Derek Lowe, Josh Beckett, Jake Peavy, Rick Porcello, Chris Sale, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Nathan Ivaldi.
0: What do all of those pitchers have in common? Ding, ding, ding. They were all traded for. They were not free agents. Bingo. Okay. Now, I know a
2: lot of people talked about how the 2018 rotation was full of pitchers that the Red Sox acquired. But I really never thought about the idea of going all the way back and looking at every single World Series team. But every single World Series team that this team has had has had the luxury of hitting big on trades and acquiring their rotation. And it's not just the number four and the number five starters. These are the top-tier pitchers that lead your rotation. In 2004, Pedro Martinez was obviously not acquired that year, but he was acquired before, but he was still your ace. Kurt Schilling, they acquired him Prior to that um, season in two thousand and four, and he was a two-time Cy Young runner-up in the National League, so again a big-time pitcher. And they also acquired Derek Lowe via trade, um, you know, previously. But still, three out of the five starting pitchers in two thousand and four were acquired via trade. If you go to two thousand and seven, they still had Kurt Schilling from the 0-4 trade, but they still had him. And then they also had Josh Beckett. Josh Beckett was their ace that year. So they acquired their ace in 2007 via trade. Now, 2013 is kind of the outlier. They did acquire a starting pitcher. They acquired Jake Peavy. Now, he wasn't fantastic for the Red Sox, but he still kind of, you know, helped them get to the playoffs and he made three uh, playoff starts, but they really didn't have to acquire a starting pitcher in 2013. Because they actually had homegrown starting pitchers. They had John Lester and Clay Buchholz, who were the anchors of that staff. And if that's what happens when you are actually able to develop your own starting pitchers, you don't have to go via trade as crazy as they've done in the other years. And then in 2018, they acquired Rick Porcello a couple years before, Chris Sale a couple years before. Eduardo Rodriguez was still a trade acquisition; he acquired him when he was in Double A. And then Nathan Ivaldi was the big one in the middle of the season. So every single World Series championship-winning team was loaded, except for really 2013, but still had one. But they were all loaded with acquiring pitchers via the trade and i think that it has really been one of the key formulas for this team and this organization over the last 20 years that has made them the most successful baseball franchise you know that there has been over the last 20 years because no one has more world series rings than them so i think if we're looking at the red sox trying to get back to that it has to be via trade And I understand fans love the prospects and I'm someone who really loves prospects myself. But if we look at the formula of success and there's no reason not to look back to those four world series teams, they had to give something up to get that top tier pitching. And you can, you can say, Oh, go get the top tier pitching on the free agent market. If you look at the top nine um, starting pitchers in terms of AAV, There is like one really good starter in that group. So you can chance it and say, well, we're going to try to get someone. But the chances are that contract is not going to work. The trade market is so much. I think it's such a better guarantee of getting good value for, you know, giving up prospects. And I think that is what the Red Sox have to do. They may not acquire an entire starting rotation this off season, but they could get one piece that really helps this team get to where they need to be in the next couple of years. And it's via trade. I really believe that um, it's the formula. I, I, I never put it all together um, in my mind. Maybe, you know, you guys have, maybe other people have, but I, I just, for fans to hold on so tightly to the three, the top three prospects in particular, Chances are one of them, maybe two of them really doesn't pan out to be the superstar that many Red Sox fans think they're going to be. So go get a starting pitcher and get a piece. It might not be, you might need more pieces, but it's at least one piece right now. And then hopefully you can keep adding to the rotation in the next off season or at the trade deadline, whatever. But go and make a deal because that is what has worked for the Red Sox in the past.
0: You want to go, Cody?
1: Sure. Uh, I think it's a very insightful take, for sure. Um, you know, to be able to draw the lineage back to 04, 07, 13, and 18, I think, is additional um, work That is awesome. Not to mention then we get a flex on the fact that we've got four World Series, uh, which, you know, is always nice to think about. But if you look at the takes that we've had over the past couple of off seasons, it's OK, go get a starting pitcher in free agency. Who are you going to get? Right. All the good pitchers never really reach free agency. Right. Like you look like an Aaron Nola. It was a restricted free agency. Obviously, the Phillies, you know, stashed them up and, and kept them in in town. And then, you know, that's why there was such a premium on a player like Yamamoto. And, you know, this market is so slow developing, but largely the top tier, you know, ace type pitchers never really make it to free agency because teams know what they have and they know that they're a dime a dozen. And if you're going to if you're going to get them, you got to pry them away. And so that I mean, I think that's that's incredibly insightful. Um, I just guess lack of better terms, research work to just be like, all right, fine. One thing that we can think about here, too, is, you know, this is Breslow, right? So those prized prospects aren't necessarily his prized prospects. So you see this with GMs, you see this with, um, you know, other front offices in different sports, too, right? Whenever they come in, they try to clean house, they try to get their guys in the building. And they want to, you know, work with the players that they want to work with, work with the players that they see something special with. So, you know, maybe we don't hold an Anthony or a mayor or a Teal as, you know, near and dear to our heart, you know, and I think, you know, perhaps out of all three of those, it would hurt me the most to see Teal leave just because the hype around a catcher, I think is a little bit more unique than it is in, in other position players, but um, you know, that's a, a topic for a different uh, cold night perhaps. Um, but that is, that is definitely something that I hadn't considered, um, you know, that all of those world series teams are ne- not necessarily built upon, but uh, bolstered by, by a trade, and so you know, with the Red Sox putting the line out there that they're not necessarily interested in free agents and they're more interested in the trade market, might think that uh, they're on to something of a similar mindset, which is you know uh, a new reason to get excited for the last couple of weeks of the off season before spring training starts.
0: So, Micah, you made a lot of excellent points there, uh, and it's still tough to read which way the Red Sox will go. I think the consensus is they are going to add another starter. And I don't think you pay Lucas Giolito 19 million a year without another starter coming in, whether it's someone we're excited about, you know, could be another story, but it seems like they're not going to go over the luxury tax this year. That's almost certainly not going to happen. And listening to Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam earlier, they're speculating that they might not even go near the $225 million cap that uh, that Sherrington was mandated last year. So if that's the case, your suspicion is probably right. There could be a trade more likely than a, a big free agent signing. Now, I'm not in love with any free agent out there. I can find stuff to hate about Montgomery. I can find stuff to hate about Snell. Ultimately, I can live with both of them under, you know, the right circumstances. But Jesus Lazardo is my my top desired target. It was Corbin Burns, but because of Scott Boris, they've already said, yeah, there, there's not likely going to be an early extension. With Dylan Cease, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last podcast, the Reds inquired to the White Sox what what would it take to get him, and this is what the White Sox wanted. They wanted the Reds' number two-ranked prospect, number three-ranked prospect, number four-ranked prospect, and number six-ranked prospect. The two three-and-four-ranked prospects are in the MLB top 100, so they're highly coveted. Top 100 in all of Major League Baseball. So that's an insane package. And you had two other teams express interest in getting him. One was the Los Angeles Dodgers, and then they pivoted to Tyler Glass now. And then the other was the Atlanta Braves. And guess what? They're like, I'll take my chances on Chris Sale for apparently two years now. Uh, rather than, you know, blow up my my farm system for a guy like Cease, who's a little bit finicky and only has two years of control. Jesus Lazardo has three years of control, so if you can acquire him and then perhaps work out an extension maybe after the first year, I think that's the way to go. And then you're hoping for the best with Giolito. I'm I'm a, I'm a ca- cautious optimist that it'll work out Okay. Uh, Bayo isn't going anywhere we can still develop a guy in the next year or two you know maybe it's maybe Tanner Houck is gonna be this stud that you know is gonna shock us all under Andrew Bailey I'm still kind of hoping for that who knows if it'll happen with my luck you know he'll be in the trade package for uh, Lizardo but you know if it happens so be it but I think you could you could put Jaron Duran and Houck in a package with one of those big three prospects and then maybe a mid-level prospect, that should get you a pretty nice starting pitcher. And it makes sense and it keeps the payroll down. And you could trade Kenley Jansen and then maybe fill another need. Teoscar Hernandez still out there. I'm I'm almost positive he ain't coming to Boston at this point, but I, I could be wrong. But it just seems like that's where they're heading. And as long as they add a starting pitcher of relevance, I'm okay with that. Eventually I don't want to go over the luxury tax. I don't want to be the team that always does it. I think you can streamline it with some smart executives that know what they're doing and maybe occasionally exceed it. But, um, but yeah. And here's the other benefit. If you stay below the the deadline and you, you leave yourself, plenty of room between your payroll and the luxury tax. You could have a pretty explosive July on the trade market if, you know, if things fall together. So we're not used to being competitive by then, but I think moves could be made to, to get us there.
2: Yeah. I think over the last couple of years, like if you look at a lot of blooms tenure, he didn't really have a lot of the prospect capital needed to go out and make a move like this. Like, the farm system he inherited was not very strong. And 100% Tristan Casas would have been in a deal to acquire a front of the rotation arm. And I have to be honest, I'm kind of glad we have Tristan Casas and not anyone that we could have acquired at that time. Just seeing, obviously, we have the luxury of knowing that the last couple of years have not really been competitive. So we would have, you know, used the really good years of a pitcher that we acquired and gotten rid of Casa. So I'm kind of glad that that worked out that we have Casas here, but what is the point of having Teal Anthony and Meyer break into the big leagues? If you have no pitching to keep runs off the board, you know, we've seen Red Sox teams that can score like crazy, but if you can't hold the other team off the scoreboard, it really doesn't matter. So you need to find a balance where you can acquire some pitching, but you can't completely deplete the farm system. That's not what I'm saying when I make it. You know, when I want them to make a deal, they need to still be cognizant of of still developing the farm system and and having a nice group of prospects. But they can't all break into the big leagues. I, I truly don't think all three of them can fit on this Red Sox roster moving forward. For one. All three of them are left-handed hitters. I I just don't like the fact that all three are left-handed hitters to match with Casas and Devers and whoever else may still be on the team at that time. I just I I think that could be a problem, but I, I the trade market is definitely the area I think they're going to go. And you mentioned Lizardo uh, Terry. I think obviously there isn't a huge track record. Um, you don't have. You only have one season in which he pitched over 100 innings. He threw 178 last year. But if you're acquiring a starting pitcher who just finished his age 25 season, I don't know how many pitchers actually would have multiple 150-plus inning seasons under their belt. There might be a couple out there, but probably not that many. So I think I'm willing to take a shot on him. The stuff is... Electric. Do you both remember? Um, I think it was the game that Bayo took his no-hitter into the seventh or eighth inning against Miami, but the opposing pitcher that day was Jesus Lazardo, and he was incredible against the Red Sox and obviously you're not going against you're not going to go off of one start and say oh that's the guy I want to have but it sure is nice to know that that one start he had in Fenway with Miami he was absolutely dominant and that the Fenway bright lights didn't scare him away so I'm all on board with Lazardo I know a lot of people when I I, I tweeted out saying that you know Jesus Lazardo and Jordan Montgomery would completely change the perspective of the Red Sox I which is obvious but some people do not like Lazardo and I think he's absolutely worth the, the the flyer on getting rid of one of your top prospects I think the deal that that you mentioned Terry with you know Duran Hauk, one of the big three and another one I think that would be a really intriguing package like that would make Miami s- better in the short term you know with the their offense better in the short term with so much upside and I think that's the type of deal that Miami should be looking to make so I, I would be all in for uh, Jesus Lazardo coming to the Boston Red Sox
0: I got some bad news and I feel like I walk into this all the time guess who Lazardo's agent is Boris. Yeah, Boris. So that that could complicate a, an extension. But, you know, Lizardo's had a pretty good couple of years in a row here, uh, an ERA in the, the mid to lower threes, strikeout rate per nine above 10. So very, very good there. Um, he always had the potential. Like, when he was coming up in Oakland, he, he was – he was a very hyped prospect and it just didn't happen. And then it went to Miami uh, first year, not so good. Uh, And then, you know, and then years two and three seem to figure it out. So this could be a, a sell high situation for Miami. Perhaps that's how they look at it. They definitely uh, do need some, some offense in that lineup. I mean, after trading, Um, no, excuse me. After trading for, um, a rise, I mean, they really needed a little bit more. And I think Duran, I mean, imagine having him and who's that, uh, uh, oh man, who's their center fielder. Yes. Chisholm, man. Imagine having those two guys, you know, in your lineup, just raising hell on the base path. So. I think that could be uh, a pretty, uh, you know, attractive trade package, and they've got a great pitching program. So if, if Tanner Houck has a problem the third time through the order, <laughs> I'm sure they'll be supremely confident they can resolve that. I'm kind of hoping we will be, you know, if he isn't, you know, in a package. But real quick though, this is one of my favorite. Uh, this is one of my favorite trades ever in Red Sox history. Do you guys know the circumstances of the Beckett Lowell trade where we got those two sent Hanley to the Marlins? It's, it's different. The Epstein dynamic to it. No. Okay. So you guys were fairly young. I mean, this is almost 20 years ago. So, you know, you guys are what? 11 or 12 at that point. No, actually, well, Mikey, you, you weren't even 10, I guess. But, um, but here's the interesting thing about that trade. Uh, the Red Sox get bounced in the first round of the playoffs that year. To the This is 2005. To the Chicago White Sox. And, and the White Sox actually ended up going to, on to win it all. And uh, broke their, their own curse that year. Halloween night, Theo Epstein quits his job and leaves Fenway Park in a gorilla suit. That way nobody would recognize him. So he leaves. And they didn't replace him right away. They had a front office. No, they had a general manager by committee. Jed Hoyer was in that committee. So was Ben Sherrington. Uh, A couple other guys. I have an article here. Nobody I'm really familiar with. Bill LaJoy and Craig Shipley were... That foursome was basically in charge of making all the moves. And then they went to the winter meetings and tried to trade Hanley Ramirez, but couldn't find a dance partner in the winter meetings in December. Epstein wasn't back yet. And then Hanley Ramirez was always untouchable to Theo Epstein, never wanted to trade him. But that committee of four Red Sox executives did it. They sent him to Miami, uh, and brought back Josh Beckett and Mike Lowell and, uh, And then Epstein came back a couple weeks later, and the rest is history. And the cool thing about it was, I mean, Epstein, in the long run, wasn't super spiteful about it. Mike Lowell got an extension from Epstein after being the 2007 World Series MVP, and then Josh Beckett in 2010 got like a four- or five-year extension, of which I think he only played a couple of years on before that infamous Dodgers trade. But just a weird, weird trade in in Red Sox history that, that led to a lot of history after, uh, I, I wasn't like, I was more of a fair weather fan back then, um, from 04 to 07, those were the years I was a corrections officer, so I, I was working second shift a lot of the time, and, um, it wasn't until I got done that in 07 to where, you know, the Red Sox were like a nightly thing uh, for me. But, yeah, I just wanted to share that. If we have any younger uh, listeners uh, joining us, uh, I think they might find that interesting. Um, but, all right, so a, a guy that I'm out on, I'm all out on, and we talked about this before we come on, Shoda Imanaga. I don't want anything to do with him. I want a proven guy, a guy we've seen you know, for at least a couple of years, have success on this side of the ocean. I was willing to take the chance on Yamamoto because the dude is off the charts, and I'll probably be willing to take that chance for Sasaki when the time comes. But Imanaga, older guy, right around 30 years old, doesn't throw particularly hard the best years of his career are over. You know, the you got Yamamoto who's 25. We've already missed out on, you know, those 5 years, uh, you know, with Imanaga and you know, finally getting out of that Chris Sale contract, you know, albeit in the final year of it. I'm just tired of having remorse over some of these long-term deals. And I'd rather another team take the plunge on Imanaga. The Yankees are out on him as well. They're not even going to pursue him. Uh, The teams that are listed to be in on him: the Cubs, the Mets, the Giants, and the Red Sox. I I, I'm pretty skeptical about the Red Sox because, I mean, Imanaga is projected to get over a hundred million. Previously, it was eighty to eighty-five, but I think we've got the Shohei and the Yamamoto effect here, you know, where the markets are getting inflated for these Japanese pitchers. So that that's just one guy I want to stay away from. I'd rather have, ultimately, I'd rather have Montgomery for six years, even though I think that's too long. I, I'd at least rather have him or, you know, a shorter, you know, three-year deal for Blake Snell at, at really high annual value. I think that's a super long shot as well. But.
1: yeah you know it is it is tough to commit a lot of resources and capitals uh to a player that hasn't done it especially at an age that isn't uh uncommon right you know as as you mentioned terry the yamamoto deal was particularly appealing because you're getting that you know age 26 season right you don't very often get a, a crack at a upper level elite pitcher uh, you know coming off their age 25 season where you could sign them to those 10 12 year deals that we're seeing in the marketplace and feel good about it right you know you're getting 10 12 year deals for guys that are 28 29 30 plus and it's like man are we really going to be paying a pitcher you know at their age 38 40 40 whatever seasons uh so you know you could definitely make the argument that Yamamoto was was worth that risk you know even with the opt-outs or the flyer or whatever it ends up being but um Imanata 30 plus doesn't have high velocity to begin with, you know, then he really has to become, you know, a, an off specialist. And those guys usually end up getting figured out, um, you know, a couple of times, you know, through through the the league, for lack of better terms, right? You know, they might have had a good first year, maybe a year or two, but eventually, you know, unless you've got that Maddox-like control they're going to figure it out and then you're going to get hit hard, right? Because there's one thing you can't replicate and it's, it's velocity, right? Everybody kind of loses it. And when you lose it, you got to figure out other ways to get outs. And, and we've seen that go poorly for other pitchers. Um, the Snell option, shorter deal, higher AAV. I think we're starting to talk ourselves more and more into that being a serviceable, I guess, outcome for this off season. I think that'd be pretty exciting, especially a pitcher that has, pitched well in this division before, you know, I think that's another feather in the cap. It's not necessarily a requirement, but it definitely doesn't hurt. Right. Um, Montgomery having the ability to pitch well again in the division and in the big moments, I think makes him, you know, another attractive option, but Imanaga, I don't think this, this rotation as it's currently constructed, um, you know, has the ability to take on that risk. You know, we kind of got a couple of holes in the, in the ship and our, we've only got one bucket, so we got to be, Uh, smart with the way that we allocate our energy and our resources.
2: The Yankees, I believe, stated that the reason they were out on Imanaga was because he's kind of a fly ball pitcher and fly balls in Yankee stadium usually don't end too well. But I I just feel like if that's the case, if that really is kind of his makeup, then I don't think Fenway really serves him any better. Um, to me, the the San Francisco Giants seem like a slam dunk with that big ballpark. Uh, they've been trying to get free agents to go to San Francisco all offseason and in previous offseasons. so I think he could be a good fit for them. But I ju- I'm, I'm with you, Terry uh, and Cody. I just don't see Imanaga a fit, especially at that dollar amount. The $100 million is, is kind of crazy. And, you know, I think the Chris Sale – extension i mean i know it's technically for one guaranteed year and they could technically pick up uh, another year but the fact that chris sale who's made 31 starts in 4 years can get you know 20 million dollars you know a year that's kind of mind boggling to me like and i think it kind of really like it inflates the market because i, I really think like jordan montgomery's got to be sitting here going well Chris Sale just got paid twenty million dollars, and he's never healthy. And when he's healthy, he's really okay. He's not nothing. He hasn't been anything special. Jordan Montgomery can go out and throw one hundred and eighty innings with a you know a mid three zra. He's got to be sitting there going, "Well, I, I want thirty million a year because look at what you just gave Chris Sale and Imanaga's agent. Like look at his numbers over in Japan. Like he's got good stuff. You, you know you can look at the the. The advanced metrics of these these Japanese pitchers, and you can kind of compare them to you know other free agents, and they have to be sitting there going, you know, my client's thirty years old, and he has you know good stuff. Why not him get twenty to twenty five million a year? Like I just feel like those types of deals, and I thought the Glasnow deal as well. It just really it it, it just skews the pitching market, and I think you're really going to have to spend to get one of these guys unless everybody just waits until the very last moment and puts all the pressure on the players to have to sign. But I just think teams are going to cave and they will give um, these free agents um, at least a high AAV. Some of these guys might not get the years they're looking for, but I do think the AAV will be there for many of these free agents.
0: I'd love to see that just be a trend. You know, If they're 30 years old, Pay him more per year and just give him three or four years. It's a better league. Free agency is better, and I think it's better for the players too. I mean, if you got the confidence, you're going to be able to go out there and sling it at age 34, 35, 36, 37. You'll still get perhaps a a couple of those Scherzer-Verlander deals, um, Charlie Morton-type deals even. I mean, his wasn't quite as explosive. I think he was only making – 15 or 20 million a year, uh, you know, signing two years at a time. But I'm all good with that. And you mentioned Chris Sale, and actually, he does have a fully guaranteed two year deal worth 38 million. Um, there is a club option for 2026 at 18 million. Um, so we'll see how it goes. And it's structured weird money wise, though. The Red Sox are still picking up. I guess the 17, I wasn't, I got excited for a second. I thought, Oh my God, are we out of that now? Cause it's a new contract, but apparently not. Um, so the, the Braves are only paying like 2 million or something like that of this year's salary. Next year's will be the full, uh, 18 or 19. And then, you know, I'm assuming the option year will be, none of that's going to be deferred, but, I think it's insane. It sounds like that this was worked out. There was a tentative agreement before the trade. Sale had to waive his 10 5 rights. And what that means is if the player's been in the league for 10 years and with his current team for the last five, 10 5 rights means a player has the right to veto a trade. And so. You know, Chris Sale had a lot of leverage, you know, whether or not he was going to take that trade or not. And I I think the Braves probably tentatively said, okay, yeah, we'll we'll do a two-year deal for roughly around this dollar amount. And, you know, we'll get the rest of it worked out after the trade. And, you know, and then today the news came out. And I think that's insane. I just like... I was okay coming in. I was actually almost giddy that it was the final year of the Chris Sale deal. I'm like, I'm, my ex- expectations aren't high. It's probably not going to go well, but at least it's the last year. At least it's the last year. And now they're, they've are they got two more years. I mean, I just couldn't take that. Like two more years of Chris Sale, he's going to have a weird injury. The dude popped his uh, rib, fractured a rib with his delivery and then the next year, which was this previous season, cracks his uh, his collarbone or something because uh, his his body just, I don't know if he, you know, maybe his bones just are, are a little more brittle. I mean, that, that can happen, but who knows what the next injury is going to be. It's going to be something fluky that just makes no sense, but it's going to happen, and the Braves are going to learn that one the hard way.
2: Uh, Cody and Terry, what would have been – I'll start with you, Cody. What would have been your reaction if today – or I would say last week, Red Sox still have sale and it, you, the, you get the alert. The Red Sox extend Chris Sale for another year with a club option for 2026. Cody, what would what would go through your mind if that would have happened? Because the Braves did it and I just feel like Red Sox fans would have just lost their mind.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean I would have immediately gone to Twitter just to watch it all burn um you know terry i think you're right getting through this last year of a deal i think is would have been you know a, a certain sense of jubilation right because there's a lot that has been attached to this 5145 outside of just chris sale himself right you know the financial inflexibility that we have had because of this deal um you know of if we had a better rotation like the Braves uh, do, you know, could we stomach a player that might not make his full 28 to 30 starts? I think that extension looks a lot more advantageous, but with the way that the Red Sox currently are constructed, if we would have extended him, um, you know, I think Breslow just looks at the world and says, I like to watch it burn, um, you know, and just laughs at us uh, and be like, you know, enjoy your misery, keep complaining about something or, or, you know, or, or something to that fact, because there's no, there's no reasonable, way you can talk yourself into an extension with the way that the red sox currently are right you you can't count on a player like chris sale to take the ball as often as a rotation like the red sox are would require a player like chris sale to do especially for that money um, you know, I think the Braves are, are following the Dodgers model. They're doing that deferred money. I think I saw something like the $10 million that they're picking up this year is going to be deferred to like 2039 or something crazy, which, you know, these are all just made up numbers to me at this point. <laughs> um, but it would have been a very, very difficult, I guess, mental gymnastics to do if you would have seen Red Sox to send Chris Sale for two years. You're like, well, he's ours now. So, like, we got to figure out a way to make, you know, put, put lipstick on a pig, but it would have been ugly.
0: The thing I would have lost my mind about was we would have exactly repeated history in 2019 by not making him pitch that final year. That's what you do with an injury prone guy. And if he, if he pulls it all together and wins the Cy Young, then okay, pay the penalty after and give him the big contract that you were hoping to avoid in a situation like this. That's my approach. Why, why do it a year early if he has the same exact type of injury and misses two months and doesn't come back until August, you're just, you're just, I, I would just destroy myself like, you know, so that's why it was kind of stunning that the Braves did it. I'm like, they just made the same mistake. Dave Dombrowski did in 2019. Just imagine if sale doesn't get that extension from Dombrowski. He has a UCL tear by August and they're hoping to rehab it. He had the PRP injections, uh, ultimately did have Tommy John in February, like first week of spring training. They're like, Oh, Tommy John. So what, what does Chris sale get? What's his, what's his contract after 2020?
2: Probably a one year pillow contract, a prove it deal. Exactly. And then
0: he's back out
2: there. Maybe a two year deal with a player opt out, something like that. But you're not getting, you know, a three or four year deal until you show you can come back. I mean, maybe there was a team out there crazy enough to do it, but. I mean, the Red Sox were crazy enough to do what they did. I mean, he wasn't fully healthy at the end of 2018, and they they gave him an extension. So maybe there was a team out there that would do it. But typically, you don't see teams give extensions to players unless they know they are really healthy and are going to be a guy they can count on.
0: He had a combined 545 strikeouts in 2017 and 2018. That's off the charts. One of those two years was 308 strikeouts, and that'll probably never be done again. I The pitchers just don't pitch enough innings to do that. So those were the two years of leverage Chris Sale had going into that extension, and he only got 145 million compared to David Price, Seven years, two hundred and ten million. I mean, Chris Sale was about the same age. He was he was thirty years old when he signed that extension. So so it's like Chris Sale knew I better get my money now while I can because the dude broke down in 2018, like Micah said. He had some shoulder fatigue. And then he had that controversy in the playoffs. I I forget if it was in the... I think it was in the ALCS where he went to the hospital, got treatment. He jokingly said it was his inflamed, infected belly button piercing. But I think there was... I don't remember if it was reports or speculation. It was his shoulder and he might have taken too much ibuprofen and it messed up his stomach. Um, But, you know, so... Even Chris Sale knew there were red flags with himself and he took a really team friendly deal. And that was the argument from all the support. I eviscerated that contract right away. I'm like, he's coming off a shoulder injury. He's probably going to have Tommy John at some point. Make him pitch that final year. And, but everybody said, oh, it's so team friendly. It's only five years. And, I, I knew it was going to be bad. I just I just didn't think it was going to be as bad as it actually was. I mean, you never got a full season at any point in that deal, ever. So, you know, Pablo Sandoval, at least in recent memory, worst position player, offensive contract of all time. And then Chris Sale, the worst pitching contract extension or whatever you want to call it, of all time. That's hard to believe. And still, after all these years, this will be his uh, 15th year in the majors. And he's got a postseason ERA of 635. (laughs) Terrible postseason guy. So he probably will get into the Hall of Fame. Believe it or not, I mean, just some of those categories are off the charts. But it's not going to be because of these epic October, you know, Moments, you know, those signature Kurt Schilling, Pedro Martinez, John Lester type uh, postseason. And John Lester won't even get in the Hall of Fame for that matter. But let's look at his uh, stats.
1: Did he ever make the postseason with the White Sox, or did he only make it to the postseason with the Red
0: Sox? I don't believe he did. I think because, like even in
1: in 2016 or so he was breaking down. I remember he got shelled by the Astros like Drew Pomerantz is our ace that postseason. And I was like, well, we're just caught. (laughs) Yeah.
0: The big Drew. That was 2017. But yeah, 17. Sorry. Yeah. And, and the answer is no, he did not make it uh, into the playoffs with Chicago. So it's all been with the Red Sox and, I think his best performance, well, let's see, in 2021, he went only eight innings, so that was eight innings across two outings, gave up three earned runs, so that's a 3.38, but he didn't go far into there. Against the Yankees, actually, that was his best. He Pitched game one of that series in 2018, went six and a third, only gave up two runs. That was his best uh, game in the postseason. But, but man, what a that! It really couldn't have gone any worse. <laughs> it it really couldn't have. So, but all right. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap?
2: I'm just wondering if Chris Sale is actually good. That's <laughs> that's what I'm wondering because you look at his numbers, they just he had two good months and two absolutely atrocious months. And for him to get that deal with the durability concerns and the performance concerns, you know, I, I'll root for him. I will always be a sale supporter. I loved Sale Day. I wanted Sale Day to be a thing so bad over the last couple of years. But um, it didn't work out. I'm, I'm so glad he's not on the Red Sox. If he wins the Cy Young this year, I will say good for you, Chris Sale. But I'm glad you're not in Boston. I just didn't want to go through that again. It was just because of how awesome he was in um, you know his first couple of years with the Red Sox, seeing him just break down and get frustrated and struggle, that was painful to watch. It really was. He was one of my favorite pitchers the Red Sox had um, that, I, that I've seen. And I'm just glad that we don't have to go through another year of of, of tough Chris Sale days.
0: I I agree with that. I don't. I don't have any ill will towards Chris Sale. (laughs) If anything, we owe him a big thank you for opting out or uh, you know agreeing to the trade, rather. Um, And you know, if you hate the Dodgers as much as we do, you're going to have to root for the Braves. I mean, who's their chief rival going to be in the National League? Yeah. So is Chris Sale? Hall of Fame bound because he's going to have, let's see, he's got currently just under 2,200 strikeouts. I think 2,000 is really kind of the benchmark in that category. And I'm guessing probably he'll have 23, 2,400 when all is said and done. His career whip, 1.04. Career ERA, 3.10. His career strikeout per nine, 11.1. I, I think he's in.
1: I think he's going to be synonymous to like an Andrew Jones type to where his tenure initial dominance was so high, but they're going to be like, I, I don't know, man. He turned 30 and he fell off or whatever. Cause the BBWA is the worst collection of human beings on the planet. A bunch of wet blankets in my opinion. Um, I don't think he gets in just because people want to see you have like an 18 year all-star career they're like the job market, right? They want you to show up with 20 years of experience so they can offer you an entry-level job. The Hall of Fame in baseball to me is the worst thing that has happened to sports. It is too elite, it is unbelievably difficult to get into, and you have a bunch of players that deserve to be in that are that are not in, and it is incredibly frustrating. Additionally, Chris Hill is gonna be the highest paid player on the Braves, which I think is absolutely hilarious. Even uh well, you know, not this year withstanding because this is obviously a Red Sox contract, but next year and when that club option kicks in at 22 million, it's gonna be tied with Matt Olson for the highest paid player on, on the Braves. So that'll be fun for them to deal with.
2: I actually kind of like that the baseball hall of fame is the elite of the elite. I kind of like that um, personally. Um, I think like the, the the NFL Hall of Fame. I feel like they just put every single player in the Hall of Fame. Their their Hall of Fame classes are massive, um, but they also have so many positions. So I, I guess whatever. But um, I don't think sales in. I I think if you're gonna have, if you're gonna focus on his ten year window, him not having a Cy Young Award, in my opinion is it, it takes away from that 10-year window. He is probably the one of the best pitchers to ever not win a Cy Young, in my opinion. Um, I, but I think if you're going to focus on a 10-year window and him not really have a second half of a career, he has to have a Cy Young, in my opinion, if not two, to get into the Hall of Fame because the longevity is just not there. Um, but if he puts together a couple of good years in Atlanta, I will feel very differently, but I think he does need to have a little bit of a resurgence here at the back end of his career to make a case and and get in.
0: The the number of wins is way low. It's only 120 wins. So that that's not going to look great. But as far as the Cy Young goes, he's got seven years in a row. So from 2012 through 2018, he finished second through sixth in in all of those years so he was somewhere between second and sixth and if he just didn't break down he wins it in 2017 and probably 2018 his own lack of durability is what did him in uh, those two years Cody?
1: What's going to be interesting though when they talk about Chris Sale is it's not going to be that he had a top six finish for 10 straight years it's going to be that he didn't win a Cy Young right like that's how they do these perceptions Additionally, do you guys know how many uh major league baseball players there's been in the history of the MLB?
0: Um twenty three thousand.
1: Give or take, yeah. It's twenty six thousand and change, right? <laughs> so if you were to put everybody that played in the MLB in the history of this sport into an average stadium today, sixty percent attendance.
0: Okay. That's an interesting thought.
1: And I'm you know, uh, go ahead, Micah.
2: No, go you finish, go.
1: It, like, I, I understand that, like, it is supposed to be the Hall of Fame, right? It is supposed to be the elite of elite, absolutely. But the point of the Hall of Fame is, can you tell the story about this sport with these players or without these players, right? And a player like Andrew Jones or a player like Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens, I know steroids aside or whatever, but don't act like those writers didn't profit on the articles that they were writing during that time. That's a whole other side of story. But you can't tell the sport the history of the sport without certain players make it a Pete Rose or, you know, um, other players who I'm forgetting at the moment, that to me is more important than your career statistics because certain things happen, right? You are going to get a freak injury, right? We are lucky that we got as much of Mickey Mantle as we did. You know, he's one sprinkler away from his career ending, especially back in that time. And it's, I mean, you absolutely can make the argument that he would have been a hall of famer before that knee injury. But if he doesn't come back from that, the BBWA leaves them out and you can't tell the story of baseball without the home run chase in 1961 without Mickey Mantle. Right. So, I mean, to me, it's, it's too hypocritical and it's too elitist. I, I think these players go through so much. They, they sacrifice so much. They put their bodies on the line each and every day for our enjoyment. That's all it is. It's for our enjoyment. And you know, the the reward of being able to play a game for a living, they deserve to be immortalized.
0: So Micah, real quick. So I'm a really huge anti-steroids guy, so I'm anti-Bonds and Clemens. Where are you on those two? Because you haven't been here for a Hall of Fame yet.
2: If if Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame, which he is, then those other players who did steroids should be in the Hall of Fame because Bud Selig knew that those players were doing steroids. So if you're going to put Bud in when he was running the whole thing and basically – you know, not watching or not paying attention, but enjoying the crazy excitement around the game, then those players belong in the game. If Bud wasn't in, I would say, you know what? Then those guys don't belong. But when they essentially turned a blind eye to it, and they uh, they probably honestly wanted it because baseball probably was never bigger than at that, that moment in time. Um, yeah, I have a hard time with that when they when the commissioner's in and he knew about it and did nothing about it then I, I'm all for it. And right now I, I could guarantee you, and I can't necessarily say a name, but there are guys in the hall of fame right now who did performance enhancing drugs and they've already been voted in. And they maybe people didn't know about it in particular, but you know, obviously Dave Ortiz was speculated, but like there are people in the hall of fame who did PEDs. So, I just don't see how you keep certain people out. That's what I don't understand. The policing of this really doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
0: Cody.
1: It wasn't a unique advantage. Now the decision to take performance enhancing substances was a unique decision, but it's not like Barry bonds had access to something that no other player could get to, right. It wasn't an unfair advantage that him or Clemens or, You know, all of the other people that got put on, what is it, the Mitchell report? I'm getting all my reports. That was one of them, yeah. Right. But, you know, if if it was a unique advantage like what Houston did in 2017, that's a different story, right? Anybody and everybody can go and get steroids. The three of us could go and get steroids if we really wanted to, right? What is particularly um, frustrating is... Micah, you mentioned it. Baseball was at its peak in 1997, 1998, the home run chase, right? It was, you know, a fury. I mean, I think that's when I really fell in love with the game. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to pick up a team a couple of years later. But baseball writers and journalists profited off of that home run chase. They profited off of the steroids and what Bonds, Sosa, Maguire were doing. And now they're going to be like, oh, well, you took steroids. You, you, you weren't pure. You didn't, you know do it the right way when we all knew what was going on at that time right people don't look like the way that they look like and so it's it's really hypocritical for me as well to to be able to say hey you shouldn't be able to be in the hall of fame all of the the things that you did don't count when it makes it sound like hitting a baseball is easy right like yeah i you know those doubles might turn into home runs but you still have to make contact man I haven't, you know, really played baseball at a high level in a long time. I got back into that engage a couple months ago and the thing went up to like 80 and I was like, get me out of here, dude, I can't do this. Like, this is this is horrifying just cause I haven't seen it in, you know, however many years, but I, I don't know. Like we, we all enjoyed it. We all profited from it. They made the decision to do it. It wasn't a singular decision. Anybody could do it if they wanted to do it. And I guarantee you, if you ask them you know, removed from the public scrutiny, would you do it again? It'd be hard to say, no, I wouldn't do it again. And then, you know, you remove the players that maybe wouldn't have made it to the majors if they didn't do performance enhancing substances, you know, things that change the course of their lives, their family lives. I, I bet a lot of them would do it again as well.
0: See, I, I'm just never gonna be able to come around on it. And a big thing for me with Bonds and Clemens is they're still lying about it. They're not even, they're not even telling the truth after all these years. And I look at it a little different. Like I can sympathize in a way with Lance Armstrong because he never would have sniffed a win or, or even a top fifteen finish in the tour if he didn't take it because everybody else was. Baseball players, you still could have been great. You still could have been Hall of Famers without taking them. And then and they still did. So, you know, that's kind of partially where I'm at. And selfishly, I, I've kind of gotten my way. Um, you know, Bonds and Clemens won't get in unless the Veterans Committee puts them in. And it doesn't sound like they will at this point. Players are very anti cheating. I mean, when Tatis went down with with his positive test, his his teammates were taking shots at him through the media. You know, they don't they don't really, they look down on this. And so Joe Morgan passed away recently, but he was on the Veterans Committee up until two or three years ago. He gave this speech, this really impassioned speech about how they shouldn't be allowed in as well. So but go ahead, Cody. Uh,
1: I view the Tatis situation a little bit differently, um, you know, to kind of borrow one of Micah's point, like Bud Selig knew that it was going on, turned a blind eye to it. It was running rampant, right? Bonds was an MVP caliber player pre-steroids, right? His time in Pittsburgh, he was an unbelievable player and he got zero nationwide notoriety. So I think that's kind of what, what turned him onto the stuff. Tatis doing it is in my opinion very different there is a framework there's a testing system there is known punishments for doing performance enhancing substances if you do performance enhancing substances in today's uh, ball game, that is incredibly selfish because you know what the punishment is going to be right The you know it was the wild wild west in the 90s people were playing it fast and loose they were trying to get Eyes on baseball, they were trying to drum up, you know, national stories. I I don't view those two to be very similar.
0: Well, I mean, it it is what it is, and we stand where we stand. I I think Charlie is somewhere, you know, in my side of the spectrum with this, but the crew, our crew is largely, um, you know, supportive of of all those guys getting in. And and that's fine. (laughs) That's why we're here. We're not here to agree with each other. Um, but, um, yeah, so we'll see. I think within the next week or two, we're going to have, um, we're going to figure out who the next class is. I hope Todd Helton is in it because he's got a career 416 on base and I know Colorado, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he, he was still a good player. That's the guy I really want to get in. And there's a few others as well, but all right, let's wrap on that. I thought this would be a quicker show. I always think that, and uh, it never is. Yeah, we're, uh, we're at the 59th minute now. So uh, we'll be back as things develop. Nothing seems imminent, but uh, we'll see. And I think worst case, we'll be back Sunday night either way. So everyone have a good weekend. Should be a little more boring because, you know, it's not New Year's, but. Is this weekend playoff weekend, or is there one more NFL weekend? One more, right? Yeah, yeah
1: we added week 18, so we'll have, we have regular seasons this weekend. Yeah. A couple of winning scenarios and, and playoff tiebreakers and, and whatnot, so there's some intrigue, but it's not playoffs yet.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, again, we will be back with you soon. Take care.